Rebel Force Radio presents. Incoming! Declassified. So, this is where the fun begins. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars. The Clone Wars. Here we go. Eat laser clankers! Maximum firepower. Hold batteries return fire. Oh, yes, sir! Now it's time for Clone Wars. Declassified. A lot of meat on the bones of the dialogue in this episode. Some good stuff to sink our teeth into. Right here on Rebel Force Radio, Clone Wars Declassified. Talking about the Jedi who knew too much. Great to have you with us. Great to be with you talking Season 5 of the Clone Wars. And I'm very excited to open up the discussion about this episode, but we want to go ahead and go round the table and introduce everybody, starting with my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yes, looking forward to talking about the Jedi who knew too much. Mystery, intrigue, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Hey, this, uh, this story arc was promised to us that it would really change the game for the character of Ahsoka Tano. And I think we definitely saw evidence of it here in the second episode of a four-part story arc. The Jedi who knew too much, really looking forward to sinking our teeth into it, as Jason likes to say, this week on Clone Wars Declassify. And we could not talk about an Ahsoka Tano arc without Grant Gould. And you just fill in the blank for whatever whatever reason. You're a big fan. Let's put it that way. You're a big fan of Ahsoka. You have, I got to say, Grant, from day one, you have been a fan of Ahsoka Tano. It's true. Since day one, I've loved her. So When all the other fans out there were like, it's impossible. You can't have a bad one. And she's a girl. And she's a kid. There was Grant saying, she's hot. <laughs> I'm excited to be here talking about the Jedi who looked too good. <laughs> oh my gosh! Of course, Grant is an official, or at least he used to be, Star Wars artist <laughs> for Lucasfilm, and uh, we always love having him on the show. He's a great drinking buddy at a con. I can tell you that. Uh, also, not a great drinking buddy at the at the at a con, but still a great buddy nonetheless. We've got him, uh, Mr. Steve Glosson, is here from Geek Out Loud. Hello, Steve. Guys, I had a great joke about Ahsoka Tano playing the role of Harrison Ford in The Fugitive, and uh, and and I got completely lost in your intro. I just want to say I haven't had a chance to tell you guys officially how great everything sounds here in the new digs at Rebel Force Radio, Aww. and that intro is amazing. Oh, thanks, Steve. It is amazing. It is amazing. Uh, I've said it before. Jimmy Mack has the best ear in the business for this kind of thing. And I'm not just saying it because he's a friend of mine, but he does. And uh, so you do, Jim. And we don't normally acknowledge that kind of thing on the air. But since Steve brought it up, it is a kick-ass intro. Yes. (laughs) Say it loud. Say it proud. (laughs) So, uh, all right, let's get into this. I said that um, this was, of course, The Jedi Who Knew Too Much. We're talking about Episode 18, Season 5, original air date, United States, February 16th, 2013. For those of you listening into the future, it's the second part in this Ahsoka-centric arc that we've been talking about, as Jimmy alluded to. was um, uh, the, The last week's episode was Sabotage and... 
next week's episode will be To Catch a Jedi, and they're going with this whole Hitchcock film title theme sort of based on, you know, what have you, and we sort of debated the merits of that. But this episode, I felt, gave us a lot to discuss. Not only did it give us some great, amazing action scenes, but it gave us some really good dialogue to talk about because I thought that there were some things that I really loved and there were some things that left me kind of scratching my head like, hmm. So it opens with the funeral. And I really, really loved this funeral because I thought that, you know, the Jedi, they're, they're, they like to be cremated, right? So they have this incredible crematorium that I thought was done in, in a way that was really clever. And, and I, I'm, I'm wondering if... Jimmy, when we think back to the Jedi funeral that's funerals that we've seen in Star Wars, uh, Darth Vader, of course, in Episode Six, Return of the Jedi, Qui Gon Jinn in Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and also uh, even Peel from last season's Clone Wars, it was all done unnatural with fire. Here we're seeing like some kind of like laser incinerator. Was this cleaning it up for the kiddies, or is this just the way they do things? It's how they roll in the temple. Well, you know, we, we did see evidence of this sort of ceremony last season when Obi-Wan Kenobi faked his death and went undercover. They did have a ceremony for him similar to this at the Jedi Temple. It wasn't as detailed and we didn't see as much of it, but we did sort of see them gathered in a room holding a, a, a faux funeral for Obi-Wan. So uh, we have seen evidence of it before. I think it just came, comes down to the bottom line is when they lit that funeral pyre for Qui-Gon Jinn, that burning hair just stunk so much. <laughs> no Jedi wanted to go through that again. Well, you know, it made sense to me, Grant, because I kind of retconned this a little bit because when I look at Qui-Gon, when I think at, at least the way that this is all playing out to me and the way I'm connecting the original trilogy and, this, and the prequel trilogy with the connective tissue, if you will, that is the Clone Wars. I'm seeing Qui-Gon as a Jedi that stood out, that he was maybe closer to the living force. He was more down to earth, literally down to earth. Uh, and so that he, his wish would be to be cremated, perhaps the old fashioned way. He doesn't need the fancy lasers in the temple. Just, just throw me on a big pile of sticks and yeah, I, light a match and... I completely agree. He's very much the hippie of the, you know, the the, the OH the original hippie. Right, yeah. um, I, this is awesome, man. Out. This is awesome. <laughs> well, it's a big frog dude with long scene. ears, man. <laughs> while we're talking about the funeral scene, I have to point out the moment that made me laugh. Um, there's a scene where Yoda says something to the effect of, could you know a moment of silence can you please all give us or something to that effect yeah. and ahsoka immediately turns to her pal and is like so you were close to one of them huh <laughs> <laughs> well you know she was never a great listener i guess I she's like she's like yeah, that that's true laugh. no it is that is funny because it's right it's it's a very serious moment and um she turns out that she's grieving for uh tutso mara who i don't think we've met before have we so you know i don't think so yeah, um, I, 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 yeah, cause her, I was wondering... she said something about how Tutso helped her learn how to hold her lightsaber or something to that effect. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. Think. So I don't think that he has any... I'm looking actually here now on his uh, Wikipedia page, 
and uh, really the only yeah the only references are from this episode. So uh, we don't know much about this particular character. Not that it really matters, but uh, Steve, I'm, I'm glad we have you here because I want to talk to you a little bit about Yoda's speech mm-hmm. because I'm I'm I've got a conundrum. Okay. No, wait a minute. A conundrum is three options, right? Oh. I think I've misused that word. I'm confused. Okay. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I'm confused because I think I heard Yoda say, luminous beings are we. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I said, self, Yoda doesn't know that yet. Uh, hmm. See, I disagree with you there. I think Set me that, straight. I, I think that when Yoda tells Luke... Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. It's something that he's known forever. When um, in episode three, in, in in the Revenge of the Sith, when he's talking to Anakin, you know, he says, "Don't we don't want to mourn for those who transform into the Force?" And so, what he's talking about is who we are. We're made up of of the Force, and we and we're drawn along by the will of the Force. And and our our purpose may be more fulfilled in the force. He, he's not necessarily talking about retaining consciousness, I don't think. I think he's talking about the, the ultimate transition into becoming part of the force or one with the force. Uh, that's obviously something that's always been there, which is illuminating or luminous thing, if you will. Um, I was more struck by the dark foreshadowing of his speech because he said so many things that I'm like, you want you like, he's like, we won't all be here forever. I'm like, you won't all be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, but, right. I, he's, but no, he's, I don't, he's, I don't, yeah, I don't think he's, it's a, I don't think it's a contradiction in, in what we know of Yoda and what Yoda knows and all. Well, I don't know that it's so much a contradiction, Jim, but I don't know about you. When I saw empire strikes back for the first time, when he said luminous beings, are we, I thought he was referring to the luminous beings that we see in the original trilogy, a la old Ben, a la him, you know, Yoda himself and Anakin. That's what I always thought. What do you think? Um, I think that he could have a foundation of faith based in the fact that you pass on, your soul passes forward into the afterlife. Much like, you know, how, how many of us here feel religiously that when you die, your soul goes off to some other realm, some other dimension or possibility, or heaven, whatever you want to call it. Um, We don't consider being able to come back. Uh, This was news for Yoda when he found out when he started communing with Qui-Gon Jinn during the time of Attack of the Clones. So that would be prior to Clone Wars. He's already communicating with Qui-Gon Jinn. The first time we know that he communicates with Qui-Gon Jinn from the beyond is when Anakin loses his cool and strikes down the Tusken Raiders. So with Yoda making that connection to Qui-Gon Jinn, you would have to assume now he's communicating with him. Oh, uh, wait, 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 no, 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 wait, 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 no, wait. I'm going to push back on this a little bit. You guys back me up if you think that uh, I'm right or back Jimmy up if he's right. I don't think Yoda knows what's going on there. I think he's very surprised. I don't think he puts it together because otherwise it wouldn't be such a revelation when we get to the end of episode three. Your old master, teach him to continue. I will with you. I will. You know, I mean, that was a big that, deal. Yeah, but, but he had to have revelation. The time. He had to have time to be able to establish 
that sort of connection to the spirit of Qui-Gon, and it would be during the Clone Wars, because Episode 3 begins at the end of the Clone Wars. So yeah, I, I don't, don't think... I don't think Yoda learned how to communicate with Qui-Gon Jinn during just the time period of Revenge of the Sith. I think it was during the Clone Wars when he was able to establish that connection with Qui-Gon from the beyond. Well, and I don't think that it was a revelation for Yoda as much as it was for Obi-Wan in that scene at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Really? But for, so, so, Yoda was, so was Yoda holding back? I mean, was this perhaps... We could, we could argue this moment, this funeral, after this devastating attack, which, let's face it, this was, this was sort of the Jedi 9-11, okay? Let's just kind of, I don't want, I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but that's kind of what it was. And the worst part was in the initial phase of the investigation, they felt that it was one of their own. They may be proven right, actually, in light of this episode. But was Yoda saving that knowledge for a moment like this? Was he laying something heavy on him? Because I didn't see any reaction. No, I go back to I think it's in the basic theology of the Jedi that that they go on to be one with the Force. It's this idea of maintaining one's identity beyond that and being able to communicate with those who are still living on this side. That was a new revelation. I, I really do think that when you get into the into the whole. Like I say, it's what he told Anakin. Don't mourn for those who transform into the Force. I really think that's what he meant. And, and that takes on a whole new, greater meaning by the time he tells Luke, luminous beings are we. I, I think that you know it's one of those things that throughout the years had taken on so much more meaning for him than what it used to have. So, so Steve, what you're saying is there's a difference between saying luminous beings are we mm-hmm. and coming back and retaining your identity in the force as a blue glowy as a, thing as a luminous being yeah yeah, yeah I, I don't know i don't know i All actually I can think sure is dave filoni listening to this thinking i can't believe they're picking apart this one tiny line <laughs> this is big you know the, <laughs> you know trust me dave filoni is quite used to this all right if he puts himself dave, through this show every week he's quite dave used to it. is crying again somewhere <laughs> right in a fetal position down his face <laughs> Or he's laughing his butt off. That's probably more likely. But I, 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 okay, here's where I'm coming down on this. That line is sacred to me. Mm-hmm. That moment is sacred to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was appropriate in this context. There, I said it. Fair enough. I would have rather not heard it. Because I, I mean, don't I think that Yoda's understanding has risen to that level at this point. I can't disagree with you, except you're dealing with the light side of the force. And so you're dealing with something that is light and luminous from the get go. So. It was not offensive to me at all. Nice yeah, try, Steve. Me neither. Nice try, I, Steve. I, well, I'm not offended. I don't. I, I don't I, did I say I was offended? Am I coming across? I don't mean I was offended. I would have rather not heard it mm. because I, because that that moment in Empire Strikes Back, the profundity of that, I don't want that diluted, and I want to see growth in Yoda's character, and he's sounding like the same old Yoda, and it's different. You know, when we look back at the first episode of season one. Uh, what's the name of it? Ambush. Yoda in the ambush. Yeah, with Yoda in the cave with the clones. He's still Yoda esque, but I I didn't feel like he was necessarily robbing me of any key moments in his development later, and that I would see him in the in the. So, Jason, trilogy. you feel like they just kind of put that line in there just to just to kind of harken back to the yeah. original trilogy? Yeah, without really thinking it through. 
<laughs> that's you know, like I said, I'm not you know trying to. I don't disagree with that. I think that's probably the case. But you know, maybe you could take, you know, a, a room of a hundred people, and half of them would hear that line and not think of it twice, and you know, maybe half would really hold on to it. It's one of my favorite lines in all of the. I should, you know, if full disclosure, it is one of my favorite lines in the in the whole saga. So. Um, well, I just want to say, I just want to give a special shout out right now to Dave Filoni. It would be an honor if next time he's on just to say Steve was right. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve Glass, a guy, he's pretty sharp. He was right. <laughs> he knows his Star Wars guys. Uh, that's right. All right. Okay. Well, we'll move on. But um, can we mention the music? Just two seconds. Please, oh, please Grant, mention the music. I just wanted to point out that this episode <laughs> had maybe the best music ever. You did oh, hear a tiny nod to the Force theme from Kiner during that yeah. funeral. Just a mm-hmm. tiny nod. You really had to have your ears open. But mm-hmm. if you picked up on it, there was a very similar theme going on. You know, Jim, while we're talking about the music in the, in the theme, I was hearing right after the, the funeral scene when they're just kind of walking in the, in the Jedi Temple, there's a certain kind of... I don't know what the right term is, like rumble or something you hear in the soundtrack in the films in, in Eps 2 and 3 when they're walking mm-hmm. in the halls. And I heard that same kind of effect in this. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's just an ambient sound yeah. to sort of just give you an audio feel for the immense size and openness of these quarters they're walking through. And sometimes I think I'm hearing like a chorus, like a real low... You know, during that. But uh, I, I, I really felt that I was there. I mean, I think that we, something we mentioned or I mentioned in the, in the last Declassified is that not only are they visually moving us to the original, or, you know, to episode three, but audibly they're moving us closer back to the films, too. So everyone those always details. walks so leisurely in that Jedi Temple. They're always walking so slowly. Well, that's why it was so easy for Anakin in the uh, 501st to wipe them out. I know. It's they're like very, they're sleepwalking around there. <laughs> they're like zombies are there. Um, but let's, I mean, I think the guy who really the, the, the really stood out in all of this was was Tarkin. It was great to see Tarkin kind of showing his stuff and walking around. He's an admiral now. Admiral. Admiral. Better be Wells Admiral. <laughs> Come on. Cut it out. Sorry. Sorry. I had to do it. But uh, so he's from captain to admiral. Now, I don't know. Who, do we have any military experts here? I don't know what outranks what. It's kind of like his, poker. His I don't uniform know what was a little too green for my taste. I was offended. Uh, as it, offended is a little strong, no, but uh, as an artist, you're offended. Um, no, I'm trying to figure out. So is the general under an admiral? It is. Right? Admiral is higher than a general. Correct. Okay. I'm, I'm making that up. I don't know. I, I think so. In the Star Wars universe. Okay, guys, I got it here. Jimmy's okay. looking it up because I need to well, know the Admiral pecking Thrawn, order. Right? I mean, not to get all. Easy, well, he's a he grand admiral. Let's see, admiral. I believe that's um, that's a, a navy designation. Mm-hmm. Admiral, admiral, general is pretty much the highest rank you can have in the army. Um, like I said, let's see if I can find admiral here. I'm actually looking at a list. This is uh, one of those episodes, is, while Jimmy's looking this up, I just want to say this is one of those episodes where I wish I actually had a copy of the script in front of me. Because there were so many good lines, mm-hmm. and I wish I had had a chance to write them down, but, but I didn't. Because when you're watching it, at least like, I was watching it for the third time today, and I said, I'll remember that. And of course, now I'm sitting down to do the show, and it's like I'm, I'm, I'm hardly remembering these. But I, the reason I bring all this up is I'm trying to determine 
and sort of figure out the pecking order. Because mm-hmm. you have Tarkin barking orders. You have uh, the prisoner who is under the jurisdiction of the military, not the Jedi, yet the Jedi are the generals mm-hmm. that are leading the, the, the clone troopers into battle. What, what Jim? And, and, and Admiral is definitely a Navy designation, and that is pretty much the equivalent of a general. There are different rankings for admirals. You have Rear Admiral, Vice Admiral, Chief of Naval Operations, and Fleet Admiral. But uh, they, they pretty much are is the highest rank you can get in the Navy. So you're dealing with the highest rank in the Army and the highest rank in the Navy. How that all breaks down in Star Wars military terms... Well, let's assume is, that, the, yeah, that the vessels... Well, let's assume that the vessels, the ships, are the equivalent of the Navy. And then they you have would have... moffs <laughs> No, I don't know. Oh. Grand moffs and... Yeah. I figure Grand Moff, Moff, and Mini Moff. Mm. But but what I'm trying to determine is Mini-moth. you have that the, the so the Jedi and the clone troopers at least you know the infantry the they would be sort of more like the army aspect and then you would have the guys like Admiral Ularen for example who is you know, he's the guy that transports them from place to place so I so there's there's weird overlap but I'm just wondering why this issue with Leda Termond who allegedly facilitated the bombing of the Jedi Temple well, is not within make... the jurisdiction of the Jedi to dole he, out the punishment. He makes a comment about how the Chancellor wants to start taking the Jedi out of military decisions, doesn't he? Yes, that's true. Then why are the Jedi still the generals leading the clone troopers into battle, whether right. it be in space or on the ground? <clears throat> It's almost well, like think, they've been given their notice that they're going to get fired, but they're still working there. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Well, will they ever get their notice pretty soon? I mean, you know, fired in a, in a big way. But it is showing perhaps confusion, disarray, uh, no one really knowing kind of who's in charge. I don't know. Jim, what do you think? What's the question? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who's in charge. Palpatine. Mm. And Palpatine is making sure that everyone underneath him is, they have no idea who's in charge. They, I think Palpatine has unleashed a bunch of phony leaders to run his military campaign while he simply sits back and manipulates each and every one of them. Well, I, I also think, Jim, that there's an, there's an aspect here that has been stated since episode one when when Qui-Gon said, we can only protect you, we can't fight a war for you, the idea that we're peacekeepers, not soldiers, on to episode two. And, and the Jedi have now been thrown into a position that they were never meant to be in, and this is fighting mm-hmm. a galactic war. And so <clears throat> when you begin to break it down and you start talking about military business versus Jedi business and Republic business versus Jedi business, the Jedi kind of set outside of everything in a way that we're not familiar with anything like that in our society because when you start talking military it's military they still when, take know, orders from palpatine though the jedi they do. still do they take orders from palpatine and he is definitely manipulating everyone down to his own admirals of uh, tarkin very familiar with palpatine he even states in this episode rarely does palpatine do things without a strategy you know mm. something along those oh, lines yes. He, oh, he, yes. he's, he's showing 
intimate knowledge of the way Palpatine operates. That's because Palpatine has brought him into his inner circle and has elevated him to a point of leadership among the military so he could handle Palpatine's dirty but Steve, workforce. But Steve, I think, raises a great point here, is that in our efforts to compare it to real-world uh, you know, our real world situations where the, the, the Jedi are this wild card because you have the civilians and you have the citizens and you have, so you have the Senate and that's their representation. Then you have the military, which would be your Tarkins and your clones. And as Steve points out, rightly so you have the Jedi, which are sort of this, this other thing. And it was funny to hear the words of Mace Windu thrown back in their face by Tarkin when he said, you yourselves said, you're not soldiers. Mm-hmm. So it yeah, is kind of hard for us uh, to, to grapple with in our well, own and, real world. And we saw it last week in, in, in the previous episode. There's, there's beginning to be a tension between the public and the Jedi and even the military and the Jedi. And I think it comes from all of this not understanding our places. I think, I think that what Jimmy's saying is, is spot on. And, it's, and, it, and it plays into what Palpatine has done by manipulating this whole thing. Because the Jedi see themselves as servants of the Republic. And to that end, they will carry out these military missions. They will follow Palpatine's orders as long as it's in what they can see and sense and feel is the best interest of the Republic. But now things have just all blown up. You've got Mandalore going nuts. You've got the Clone Wars going on. You've got Darth Maul flying around somewhere. And you've got, this little, you've got someone bombing the Jedi Temple. For crying out loud, you know, they're, they're just in a mess. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a good old it, southern way to say it. They're he, just in a mess. I mean, he, <laughs> he really is creating an environment to where it's, a, it's no win mm-hmm. for these guys. And uh, I, I think, Jim, you're also right to point out that, so, that this is by design. Palpatine's kind of stirring the pot. He's got all these cooks in the kitchen and nobody really knows. You know, obviously, Ahsoka disagrees. She believes that, that Leta should be under Jedi oversight. So... Mm-hmm. Let me ask your opinion on something. Do you think Tarkin is in on the Order 66 plan? Oh, oh here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, Jimmy, you said that Tarkin's in Palpatine's inner circle. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting to speculate how inner. I mean, is he is he as intimate with Palpatine as, say, a Masamita or um, who's the bald Lombita. chick? Oh, Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Uh, or, I meant Orn Frita. Excuse me, not Masmita. Uh, Orn Frita. Sly Moore. Sly Moore, Moore right. The ball chick you were right. talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah um, I, I would have to say yes, simply uh, just by, by judging the end of Return of the uh, Revenge of the Sith when Palpatine and Vader are standing on the bridge. Who's up there with him? Tarkin. Mm-hmm. So he's already worked his way in, and he does that during the Clone Wars. That's when he really earns Palpatine's favor. And, uh, yeah, you so don't really the- see you don't really see uh, Tarkin reacting like, oh my God, what's that? <laughs> right, so he is obviously aware of the Death Star. Yeah, Did you uh, know he's not by surprise. Look there. at this thing! Look, yeah. it's the size of a moon. So yeah, yeah. he he right, he's in uh, on it. He's like a teenage girl waiting for his sweet 16 so daddy can buy him that convertible. Right. In this case, the convertible is a weapon that can destroy a planet. It's just a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, um, Tarkin definitely is someone who, is, who has intimate knowledge of what Palpatine is doing behind the scenes. I don't think it goes as deep as him knowing about ultimately 
flushing out the Jedi and labeling them as as the um, I, I think he knows as much as Palpatine is publicly willing to reveal. So you don't think he knows about the whole Sith thing? That, no, that, no, 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 no. I right. don't. I really don't. And I question how much even a Masamita does. Masamita knows that there's nefarious things going on in that chancellor's office, and he is privy to a lot of that information. But does he really know how deep it goes? How it, 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 does he know that Palpatine is this secret evil wizard? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think so. But I do think that Palpatine is manipulating everything from the Jedi to all branches of his military. And when something happens that is unexpected for him, he has to eliminate that threat immediately. And that's what you saw with the return of Darth Maul and his rise to power on the planet Mandalore. As soon as that became apparent to Palpatine, he he went out there and handled it instantly. You see all this crazy crap going on during the Clone Wars and Palpatine is hands off so it seems but in reality he's letting it play out because he's the one who put all the pieces on the playing board to begin with when it comes down to things that are unpredictable like the return of Darth Maul then he has to go and wipe that out because that's not part of his master plan so the, the less you see him getting involved the more his plan is unfolding yeah, I can't even imagine the devastation that these guys feel once they once they figure this all out. I mean that years of this and destruction and death and you know the the Jedi in a sense being in a position where they've they lost their purpose. They they changed their whole purpose. Their whole purpose for being uh was completely derailed by this and it was all a farce. It was all fake just to secure the rule of this Sith despot. I mean, it, Jason. I go back to what no I said they go before. Nuts. Yeah, I, I go back to what I said before on a, on a different show, but with you guys, surprisingly enough, hmm. I said I said it always frustrates me in Revenge of the Sith when Mace Windu looks up from the war table and looks around all these Jedi. He's like, I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. <laughs> it's about darn time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was one of those moments where you wish that George behind the camera would have said, uh, faster and more intense. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, when he was in Snakes on a Plane, he wasn't like, I think there are snakes on this plane. I think we should get the snakes <laughs> off the plane. Right. No, no. <laughs> yeah, he should have had a real Sam Jackson moment there, actually. That would have been the whole reason for casting him, just for that moment. Yes. <laughs> there are mother... <laughs> um, to plot Sith to Lord to here! <laughs> <laughs> and, and, the way, you know, and then when Anakin tells him that it's Palpatine, he's like, stay here, because if this is true, it, it's going to mean an awful lot. That's right. So, <laughs> A Sith Lord? Right. <laughs> Well, you know, Mace Windu, very understated kind of guy. But uh, anyway, no, um, Jim, you're right. I mean, the it's it's you know it's game match set, right? I mean, as far as Palpatine is concerned, he's put them in a way that they can't possibly win. He's got them on you know on all sides, and he's sowing these seeds of distrust. And Leta is the poster child so far for the public distrust mistrust of mm-hmm. the jedi she says mm-hmm. you're we- i think she calls them weapons now yeah yeah you're and, weapons. And, and she she makes it very clear to ahsoka that the public is starting 
to distrust the Jedi. And this is something that's been going on, going all the way back to Lightsaber Lost, when we saw that clip of Palpatine on the video screen, talking about how the Jedi are not responsible. Mm. So he's, just by acknowledging that, that is sowing the seeds of distrust amongst the public, the public uh, population. Right. So she claims then a Jedi taught her how to use these bombs and plan it in the temple. And so, you know, her, uh, her poor husband, <laughs> who only left behind his hand, right. you know, he, he, was right. a, he, was a, he was the recipient of that uh, little bit of information. But um, Well, she was, she's afraid for her safety, obviously. And hmm. it was interesting, Grant, that it was Tarkin that was the one that came a call. Now, wait a second, wait a oh, second. Wait, what? Who, is, who is the Jedi, though? A lot of people want to jump to the conclusion and say it's Barriss. It was Barris. Barris did it. I th- but but doesn't this kind of ring a bell as Star Wars fans? Didn't something else? Didn't a Jedi do something else behind the scenes in Episode Two? Oh yeah, Sifo-Dyas commissioned a whole freaking clone army, and no one knew about it. So this isn't the first time a Jedi had worked behind the backs of the, the Council and the rest of the Jedi and gone rogue, essentially. And so we're dealing with a very similar situation. Do we ever know what really happened with Sifo Dyas? No, Is and I was dead? just going to say, I was just going to say that that whole Sifo Dyas thing is way too important to have all happened off screen. He died nearly 10 years ago. But the <laughs> did he though? Did he? Are you saying that it's Sifo-Dyas? Well, do we Jimmy really Mac. know? Do we really know what happened? Here? That is crazy it's, talk, Jimmy Mac. Well, no, is it though? Because, like I said, this isn't the first time we've seen a Jedi go rogue. I'm talking about Sifo-Dyas, and Obi Wan seems to think he's dead. But quite honestly, no one knows what this guy'd been up to. How do you know if he's dead or alive? Maybe his death was staged. Maybe it was faked. Maybe he's in league with Palpatine somehow. I'm trying to remember, Steve, what exactly Letta says. I, mean, she, I know she calls them you know, weapons, but she says, you know, I'm not the only one that thinks that the Jedi have lost their way or, or have become corrupt. Do you remember yeah, exactly I, what, what, I what she I said? Remember, because I was actually what? thinking Dooku. <clears throat> yeah, it. I was. I'm thinking Asajj Ventress. It's it's yeah, more too. of it's more of the the same dialogue that she kind of had toward the end of the first episode of this arc, where she's just kind of letting on that there's something bigger than just me feeding my husband nanobots. But she is specific. She said it was breakfast. a Jedi. Yeah, but how would she know if Asajj was a real Jedi or not? Maybe they have him? identification. Maybe she's got. Maybe there's a Jedi badge or something. Or what your I assumed it meant Asajj came up to her and said, hey, I'm a Jedi, and you know, basically told her she was a Jedi lying to her and set this whole thing up. Now, you guys are assuming that this is Asajj based on the clips that we've seen of this masked lightsaber-wielding... Right. Well, I mean, it's the fault of the preview. The preview showed... <laughs> the, I'm not the blaming you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to find fault here. I'm just... I, I, you know, it's, it's clear that it's a very slight character, so you would, you would assume that it's a woman, a female. She's got those legs wrapped like Asajj. Hmm. Well, maybe budgets are tight and they've got to use Where's the same Sonny? models. Sonny in New Orleans. Where maybe it's a, kit, it's a kit-bash character. 
Well, and plus, uh, I mean, during the choking scene, I mean, I assume it's someone that can hide in a vent or something to do that. Well, you know, there's um, a very interesting exchange with Tarkin after yes. this happens where he says, if there was someone else here, mm-hmm. why didn't you sense them? That's, that's displaying an awful high-level understanding of Jedi power. You know what it reminded me of? Back in the 90s, I used to produce uh, some weekend radio shows, and one of them was a sports show, and one of them was this psychic. And the psychic came on after the sports show. And I remember the, well, this one day, the psychic opened the door and said, hey, have you guys done your last commercial break yet? And the sportscaster looked over at him and said, well, you're the psychic. How come you don't know? <laughs> Very similar to Tarkin (laughs) assuming Ahsoka would be able to sense anything going on around her. What Tarkin doesn't understand is that the dark side clouds everything. Or does he? Well, maybe he does. Um, but you know, it's it's very. It just reminded me of that exchange between the sportscaster and the psychic, assuming a lot, aren't you? That mm. a Jedi can sense anything and everything around them. Now, Ahsoka does remind me of Spider Man a lot. The way she swings around, the way she jumps off walls, and Batman in the one shot. She's definitely Spider Man, but I don't know if her Spidey sense is always tingling like that. Yeah, and she was pretty emotional. Can, can I just share one random thought that popped into my head? Always. Yes, okay, wait, Always. this is a new segment oh, yeah. now. Go ahead. This is, um, let me give you the intro. Okay. Random Thoughts with Grant Gould. What if at the end of this story arc, we find out that Ahsoka was the one that killed all the clones and did choke her, and we were just seeing the story she wanted people to believe? That's heavy, man. That's heavy stuff. I can't accept that. I can't accept that. I got to take a lot of what's going on here. I, I think we're seeing the story unfold from Ix- Ahsoka's vantage point. I think that what you see is what you get here right now. I don't think that there's going to be anything. There's been absolutely no foreshadowing for anything like that. I happen. agree. I don't actually believe that's going to happen. It was just a random. It is a cool that- thought. It's a cool idea. But we do see in that preview Ahsoka in a lightsaber battle with this mysterious masked we're going to assume it's a Jedi assassin assassin hmm I I think that wait wait hold on Steve I have to wrap up the segment sorry you've been listening to Random Thoughts with Grant Gould (laughs) take it away Steve I think that uh, (laughs) I don't know I think that Ahsoka has got herself in in a world of in a world of trouble and that and that this this assassin or this Jedi quote unquote whoever it is Sifo-Dyas, I think that Sifo-Dyas obviously has plans specifically for Ahsoka. Now you know I think that what has happened here is why the key card, why I set her up like this. To me, it's going to be interesting more to find out who it is. That is going to be it's going to be more interesting to find out what plans does this person have for Ahsoka. It's not just to to set Ahsoka up and have her take the fall. I believe they're trying to draw Ahsoka away from the Jedi Order, uh, tempt her to the dark side, possibly, and have their own little Sith apprentice. Well, something I noticed right away mm, was like that. that you laid a lot of heavy stuff there, Steve. Uh, but I, and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to miss it. I'm not it. saying Ahsoka's going to the dark side. I'm saying I think that may be the plan in place now. Well, we do. We did see the shadow of a. Dark Ahsoka on Mortis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
we're not necessarily just seeing possible futures on Mortis. We were actually seeing, at least in Anakin's case, uh, we saw Vader. Yeah. So we were seeing a lot of foreshadowing of what is to come. Could Ahsoka... And if I remember right, Grant, you would know this because you probably watch this daily. She was a lot older, right? When she was uh, dark Ahsoka. I don't think so. When she when she was the, the evil version of her, she looked the same age. Did she? I couldn't remember if she looked more grown yeah, up. Jim, I mean, why do they I gave, think she looked grown they up? They gave her some like lines on her face and made her look kind of wicked and stuff, but she she didn't look older. There is a moment Ahsoka has a vision of her older self in the first episode of the Mortis trilogy mm-hmm. when she is awoken from her sleep and, and she sees herself in the fire. And yes, it's, yes. it's adult Ahsoka pleading with, with young Ahsoka to be careful of her master, essentially. She was giving herself warnings about Anakin. When Ahsoka became evil, she was under the... Uh, the spell, for lack of a better word, of uh, the sun. Um, boy, it's been a while since I've I watched know, the Mortis. Um, but yeah, she's—I mean, so she was actually sort of poisoned by the dark side in, in a way at that point uh, when she was um, when she was uh, turning on Anakin there in the Mortis trilogy. But uh, but the vision of adult Ahsoka is what she saw there in the uh, in the cave. So that see, that's always kind of made me skeptical of the Ahsoka's going to die anytime soon because I think that she was... I think that Mortis was showing visions of things that are actually coming to pass, that will come to pass. And so if we if we accept that, then we need to assume that she is going to grow up and that perhaps she'll either fall to the dark side or at least be tempted. So I think, Steve, you got a lot of, a lot of um, uh, points for that. But she says to Anakin during the fugitive scene... Thank you, Steve. Um, she says that no one else will believe her. And now, said, I don't care. Yeah, I don't <laughs> care. She did a damn Peter Pan off this bridge. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but I'm just thinking that if you're a Jedi like Ahsoka, and you you already believe that the whole council, Yoda, Mace Windu. Yariel, poof, they're all going to be against you, that none of them will believe you? What kind of a culture is that? Yeah, I kind of felt that way, too. I was, I, I was thinking how she must really be soured on the whole idea of the Jedi way of life if she was convinced that no one, you know, they were going to toss her in jail and not even give her a chance. Ye of well, little guys, faith. Well, Ye guys, of little faith. On. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's not attribute adult rational thinking to Ahsoka all the way. She's she's a great little Jedi, she's a great Padawan, but she's still very young. And Anakin so her, even says that, doesn't he? Yeah, so some of her decision making is going to be very rash. Mm-hmm. And he, and Anakin tries. He says, "Listen, by running you're making this worse." And and you're making it look like you're guilty right. by running. If you'll stay and let us work this out, that's Well, the key. And I think that makes it more believable that she is running away because, you know, I mean, you know, when we were teenagers, we did stupid things we wouldn't do now. You know, true, right? True. And that's what I'm saying is, is I don't think that I don't think that it's that Annika has lost faith in the council. I think that she looks at it as she sees a hopeless situation and that no one would believe her, and there's no one who can help her but herself. 
Right, and she's immediately jumping to the worst possible conclusion, just like a teenage girl fighting with her dad. You hate me! Everyone (laughs) hates me! (laughs) Oh, I have a lot to look forward to, don't I? I don't envy you. (laughs) You know, my sweet mama always said she'd rather raise ten boys than one girl any day of the week. (laughs) Well, I got one of each, so I'll I'll let you know how it turns out. (laughs) But so Jim, so teenage angst, or is there a real serious problem there in the in the in the council and in, in in the trust department? Um. Well, obviously, there's a, a problem in the council in the trust department because they're already assuming that it's possible a Jedi could have set off that explosion. Then they find Leta, and she becomes the scapegoat. And, you know, of course, she is responsible. But then she's revealing to Ahsoka that, no, 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 it was a Jedi who was responsible. I'm just being a pawn here. And before Ahsoka can report that, this is where you get very much like the Hitchcock, the man who knew too much. Um, It was a very similar situation where some information was being passed before someone died. And that information puts the person who has that information into great peril. So when that happened, it was, and also Tarkin, keep in mind, Tarkin, upon looking at the recording, says, hmm, it's odd there's no sound here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very convenient. Conveniently, too. he says, I believe. Yeah. Uh, very convenient, I might add. So, uh, so um, then it just all starts to unfold. Uh, Ahsoka finds the key card. Who left her the key card? She assumes it was Anakin Skywalker. I don't think it was Anakin. Anakin couldn't get in there. Who left her the key card? See, she's being totally set up. And another thing that reminds me of Hitchcock films with this episode is um, how Ahsoka, much like the character of Roger Thornhill in North by Northwest, is constantly being caught in situations that make her look guilty. She's being caught red-handed, so it seems. So Ahsoka knows what's going on here and starts to pile up the evidence against herself and says, you know what? Even I would say I'm guilty here. So all, he, all she can do is run. That's all she can do. And then like the, like the fugitive, too. You know, she has to go and prove herself innocent. And no one else is going to take that responsibility for her because the evidence against her is so damning and so precise that it looks like it's going to be an open and shut case. So Ahsoka's out there on the run, much like in The Fugitive, when... Um, when um oh my gosh i'm forgetting the name dr. of it richard dr richard kimball. kimball of course dr richard kimball he's out trying to prove that he was innocent and the man with one arm is the guilty party here so right. ahsoka needs to find her man with one arm that's what, what we're the man for. with no legs i'm i'm actually grant i i, I think that it was you that threw out that it could be barris offy and i'm Starting to think that maybe you're right. I, I, maybe I'm, I, and I know I'm sometimes too simplistic. I was thinking Darth Maul. I was thinking, you know, I, I went to the obvious, Maul, Palpatine, that whole thing. I have other uses for you. Uh, I thought that that might be it. Um, but then I go back to the whole idea of she didn't sense Barris was there. But Barris now knows, after their little exchange in the temple, that. Barris knows that Ahsoka is potentially a, a sympathetic ear in this case. What do we think? Well, Could it be Barris? I don't want to take credit for the Barris call. I didn't say that. Oh, was that Steve? No, I didn't say that at all. I said it. 
I said that it's easy to assume that Barris is the guilty Jedi here, but I also throw out the other option of what happened to Sifo-Dyas. But I, 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 I do know that Barris. Why else would she be included in this episode? Most people are thinking. Um, See, I, I think that Barris is a natural touchstone for Ahsoka to have a to have a peer to talk to rather than her usual she usually finds herself in the midst of mentors mm-hmm. or in the case of like the Onderon arc she's kind of in charge or with the young Jedi she's kind of in charge Barris is a peer she's a fellow Padawan and so I think that's I really feel like that's why she was there because Ahsoka's going to be a little bit more open a little bit more honest a little bit more frank with a, with a peer I don't I think, think it th- has anything deeper than that I think they showed her because they wanted to give her one last moment with her friend before something horrible happens and she never is allowed back into the temple. But who cares what the relationship like is between Ahsoka and Barris? They haven't shared an episode together since season two. And uh, so I don't, I don't think that there's any outcry from fandom to wrap up the loose ends of the Ahsoka Barris relationship. I really don't think that's the case at all. I think she's uh, in there to throw us off the scent. If they go with Barris as being the guilty Jedi here, I will be very disappointed because that's really? it's just too easy. She has to be something she's thrown in there to fake us out. I hope. I really I don't really I don't hope. I honestly don't think there's any intention other than here's a touchstone for Ahsoka because there was something familiar about she and Ahsoka talking, even though it's been since season two, the bond that they developed there, it just felt more like are you sure we haven't seen them just kind of talk, have a little interaction since then? Because it felt so natural to me that those two were on screen together having a conversation. It felt I think so Barris, right. I think Barris is the red herring here. I think mm. she, is, she is thrown in there to mislead us or distract us from reaching whatever the logical conclusion is. I Who don't is know, the, Jim, because you know, the, the reason I, I... If we go back to the last episode where... I, I'd mentioned last week in Sabotage that I just thought that the that the mystery was not really much of a mystery at all. I mean, the very first uh, you know investigate bit of investigation that Ahsoka does, she goes to the to the hospital, and there's the one guy there that's like, yeah, I think it was what's his name, you know, and that, that ends up being who it was. Cool, now, cool. granted, what was it? Uh, I was making a joke. Forget oh. it. Oh, <laughs> well, no. If you got a joke, let's hear it. While you were talking about the investigation, I went, glung, glung. Oh, right. Law and order. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. I got it. Right. Right. <laughs> Thank you for translating. <laughs> that wasted way too much time. Go ahead. Not at were, all. Were they doing, weren't they doing more CSI? Yeah! <laughs> Get your who on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that the – really, I felt like these last two episodes could have been condensed – because uh, there really was not much of a mystery in Sabotage. Now, the mystery really begins here in The Jedi Who Knew Too Much, because th- the relationship between uh, Letta and her husband and all of that, that was solved within, I, I think, in the, within the first third of the episode last time. Right. So yeah. there really wasn't much of a mystery. It was all pretty obvious. It led to where you think it was going to lead. So, Jimmy Mack, I'm thinking, why should this be any different? Because it's all there to take you on a wild, dramatic ride. And I hope so. I hope I, so. Well, that's what I'm banking on. That's what I'm banking on. And if you're going to have the balls to say these episodes 
are being influenced by the works of the great Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock, then you better make sure that they have all the appropriate twists and turns and red hearings and things to throw us off the Mm. scent. There's no butler. Oh, maybe the librarian. Maybe it's your costume. I won't. I won't. <laughs> you guys. You guys can use your influence to do to have this happen. I want to get Stephen Stanton in the Tarkin voice to do the hen house, outhouse, doghouse speech that Tommy Lee gives. After, okay, after we'll make this. that happen. Right. We will make that happen. <laughs> we will make that happen for Aver- you. Average foot speed for a Jedi. <laughs> All right, I like that idea. I like that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Tarkin in, in, in the environments. I remember, Grant, after I saw this episode, I sent off an email to Jimmy Mack, and I said, man, I felt like I was watching an episode of The Clone Wars that took place in the original trilogy timeline. Yeah. Everything just sure. felt, smelled, looked like original trilogy. Did you like that? Yeah, I did a lot. I thought visually... I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'll say this is my top favorite episode in terms of visuals, but it's up there. It's in the top three, probably. And, like, on Facebook, I saw a lot of friends commenting how this episode felt very original trilogy and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, the music, the visuals, the the chase, everything really worked. It really felt, kind of had that, that uh, sparkle that the, that the original trilogy movies had. Absolutely, and Dave Filoni brings this up in the featurette on Star Wars at StarWars.com, where he talks specifically about the prison complex and how it's very imperial and very original trilogy, and how he feels like this episode is one where they really touch, where they really make it grounded in the Star Wars flavor. And uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Those classic Death Star hallways are all over that. That giant imperial, I I call it an imperial complex. It's actually just a republic complex. Republic prison. And also, you had the intimidation of those white armored troopers hunting down a Jedi and being intimidating and being those, those evil automatons that basically fueled the empire. You have that. They're not the good guys anymore. You had Kiner doing variations of the Imperial March as Tarkin walked down those classic Death Star hallways that reminded me with the red-lit floor and ceilings like the Death Star mm-hmm. Detention Center from uh, A New Hope. It was very grounded even in the, what even I the, Even support. the consoles, you know, that the yes. troopers were working on. With the, I, just with the, push, like, yeah. with the push buttons, right. you know. That I were, just realized that the first episode for me that the clones felt like bad guys instead of yes. good guys. Absolutely. We see, we see uh, the, def- def- defying orders from Anakin. They blatantly defy the orders mm-hmm. to go Lex. after Rex Ahsoka. the one that stands up for her. Yeah. Yeah, but Fox and everybody else, they're after yep. her. Yeah. Well, and actually even Rex ultimately ends up uh, reporting... Well, wait a minute. Anakin gives an order, and then it's to Rex, right? And then Rex defies the order right away as soon as Anakin leaves. Well, the last we see of Rex, he hops on his little com, and he says, he says, you know, something about Ahsoka killed three yes. clones, whatever. But, but initially, he's on her side, and he's like, there's no way she could have done this. You know, I'm sensing, you know, I mean, we, we, we know in our real world what happens when uh, police officers are killed. And it, you know, it becomes uh, when when another fellow officer is slain, it becomes a whole other issue. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that happening within the clone culture and the clone ranks. Well, they're brothers. They're brothers. That's right. 
So it's it's uh, it's it's there's many layers to this, and this is I think the first time where I really feel I really felt like we were moving closer to episode three. It it felt very grim, and well, and there's parts where you can see the clones, you know, surrounding Ahsoka or whatever, and it actually you're like, wow, you know, Order sixty six feels that much more real. Like I can actually see clones taking down Jedi. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So this is actually kind of helping that pill, uh, yeah. helping you swallow that pill a little bit easier when it, when, it, when it comes, which that's what's one of the things that's so great about this show is that it does. You know, the, the fall of Anakin obviously means a lot more when, after you see Anakin and Obi-Wan actually liking each other for more than just a few moments. So, and it's the same thing with, with the clones. But you're right. I mean, this is starting a transition, and it's more seeds of distrust being planted between uh, or by Palpatine between the uh, the Jedi and the clones and the Jedi and the 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 public at large and all of that it's uh, it's amazing the chase scene absolutely oh. incredible probably you know i said that the the lightsaber scenes in uh in lawless and then the one uh, in the episode prior with with uh, Vizsla and and Maul were some of the best they even topped what we saw in the films and this chase scene was just out of this world incredible yeah, I when love she's, the, def- I love when she's the deflecting the stun guns. That yes, so cool. That's what I was gonna say. I love the visual of the stun bolts coming at her, and and then uh, and then that last that final shot where she leaps down onto that transporter and is just slowly going down as, as she just looks at Anakin and he looks at her. It, it I, I don't know. It the whole the whole emotional. I was on the edge of my seat the entire yeah. time, and and I of course too. I knew she was going to jump into something, but uh, the way it and just she calls ended, Anakin. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yeah. they reserve that for very special occasions, and it's it's it, when he when she does that, it puts them on the same playing field in a way. I mean, she's she's referring to him, she's she's appealing to him as not my master in this case, but a fellow Jedi. You have to understand, it's a small fraternity, you know, and uh, she's appealing to his, him at his most basic core level. All pretense aside, it's really it's a little scary. You almost felt like that was almost like it could be the last time they see each other. Didn't you kind of have that feeling? I didn't, but not till now. Now yeah. I feel that way. Now I'm trying to figure out where was the dialogue they recorded that had to, everyone had to be kicked out of the room. Well, see, that's the cool. thing. I mean, I that last final minute, I was just thinking to myself, I don't think it'll be their last time together. But what if it was? What Crazy. if it was? It 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 could be. And mm. as Steve said. I I really was deeply emotionally involved with these characters and I was just thinking about it tonight as a matter of fact and when I'm watching the episode for the third time when when I think of Anakin Skywalker as a kid I thought of Sebastian Shaw the old raisin you know, with the big bushy eyebrows, which he has no eyebrows now. He did, and t- he did kind of look like an albino California raisin. A little bit. You guys, a little you, bit. Guys, you guys take that back. That's horrible. He was not a raisin. He was a cauliflower. Okay, mm-hmm. cauliflower. Fine. <laughs> right. He's not an albino raisin. He was but, one of those claymation vegetables. But now when I think when I think Anakin Skywalker, of course there was a time where I thought of Hayden. But when I think Anakin Skywalker, that's who I picture. I picture that model. I picture that, and uh, and the the subtleties that the, that they're getting out of the performances of the models is, as we've been saying in the last couple episodes, it, it, amazing. Nothing short of astonishing. And he's got great he's, angry face now. 
does have good angry face and sad face and Ahsoka sad. It was big cow eyes. I mean, what do you do? I mean, it was really that was a great moment. And Grant, I got to say that if that was their final moment, they really pulled it off well. Mm-hmm. They really pulled it off well. And I would not be I would not feel shortchanged. Because they were almost saying goodbye in a way. I mean, Ahsoka really has a, a fatalistic attitude about this whole turn of events. There's so, Jim, you said her spider sense is is not tingling, but I'm I'm wondering if it is, and she realizes that this is it. Could be, could be. Yeah, yeah. We just wrote it off to teenage angst. But what if Ahsoka, and it has been proven, her character does have the Jedi gift of foresight where she can see things before they happen. Uh-huh. Remember with, mm. with, the, with Zero, where she was sensing things. And Yoda took that very seriously. Guys, it's very easy for us to think of these Jedi as all having these standard powers. Well, you can do this because you're a Jedi. You can do that be- because you're a Jedi. Of course, earlier in this episode, Tarkin is assuming a lot about what Ahsoka's powers can and can't do. However, there are certain aspects of being a Jedi, certain specialties that only certain Jedi have. And the gift of being able to see things before they happen, while Qui-Gon Jinn does just simply write it off as a Jedi trait, nowhere in there does he say, it's a Jedi trait, every Jedi can do it. No, it's something that a Jedi can do. But can every Jedi? I don't think so. I think that's kind of a rarity. Mm -hmm. So... That's something to think long and hard about. They did make a big deal about that when she was having that foresight about Zero the Hut. Does she doesn't remember the Mortis stuff, right? Well, we don't know. That's open to debate and interpretation. According to Matt Lanter, the characters don't remember. But okay. Matt is pretty much the only person we've talked to, and we have talked to all the principal players of the Mortis trilogy, including writer Christian Taylor, Filoni, Ashley. Matt and James Arnold Taylor and, and Sam, Sam Whitwer, yeah. So I, I, Matt is the only one who's just come right out and said they don't, they didn't remember. But he did make us know that without a doubt, that's his interpretation, and that's not anything that was in the script. That's not anything that was really discussed by Filoni. At least he didn't reveal that. So it's just his interpretation. But I'm, I'm beginning to think that no, they, they don't have any recollection of what happened in Mortis. Maybe it's just like something out of the dream. Sorry, Grant, I cut you off. What were you going to say? I was just going to quote the, the, the Dagobah quote, you know, the like something out of a dream. Ah, right. Something familiar about this place. Well, there was definitely something familiar about this episode, and it felt like going home, if home is the Death Star. But still, it was very, very cool, very evocative of original trilogy, as well as the latter part of the se- of the prequel trilogy. So I think we are really seeing a movement as the show shifts. We know that there are fewer days of the Clone Wars ahead than there are behind. Very interesting to see where this leads. Only two more episodes. And if they continue at this pace, I'll be very pleased. We had a lot of comments 
some emails came in and some posts on Facebook asking me if this episode made me change my feelings about the last episode, Sabotage. And I have to say no. As I said earlier, I think that this really could have ended, the first episode could and should have ended with Ahsoka's arrest and imprisonment. I thought that the whole Leta and her husband and the nanobots was a little bit of a waste of time and could have perhaps been summed up much more quickly. So my problem is not with the adventure itself or the story, but the way it's paced from time to time with these multiple episode arcs and where they choose to rest and where they choose to rush us a little bit. But nonetheless, love this episode, The Jedi Who Knew Too Much. Watched it three times, and I'll probably watch it again, especially after this illuminating conversation. Speaking of illuminating, come on, save some of that stuff for Empire. thought it was a little (laughs) premature. I don't think Yoda has quite developed to that state. But I guess I'm wrong. Big thanks to our panel. Steve Glosson, my friend, always great to have you. You can hear more of Steve at geekoutpodcast.com. And he's on the radio at 105.9 WHJD. And Steve, what is the app, the magic app that allows Uh, you you to hear the show? You can get the TuneIn app and listen uh, live daily, 7 to 9. Starting this weekend, we'll put the Big Honkin' Show clips of it back up in podcast form. I just want to say, as far as this episode goes, some of the best visuals... I've seen with the outside of the uh, the prison garrison or whatever it was. I, with all the nods to Kenner this season what? so far, I was really hoping to see Imperial Transport come out and, and you know, that, uh, that old prison trip. I'm losing you, Steve. I'm sorry. You're dropping out. Oh, my goodness. Sorry about that. Stay right on the mic. I'm on the mic. Mic technique, Steve. Mic technique. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just I was saying that with all the Kenner nods, I really thought around the prisoner, the prison garrison area, we get to see one of those old Kenner prison transports. Oh right, yeah. Go. Uh, but uh, love the episode, love the visuals, love the chase, and the end broke my heart. Zillow Beast, not in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Grant Gould, his art can be seen at grantgould.com. Grant, always nice to talk with you. I know you're not a Facebook guy, but you do do the Twitter. Oh, I do, I do both. Oh, oh you do both uh, now. Just, I'm bad at checking both, but I oh, post okay. both. All right. Um, but yeah, I, everyone check out you know, my website. We'll have some exciting things over the next month or two. I've got a role-playing game coming out and a new art book that will have all sorts of cool art. So check that out. And I'm... I just want to echo what Steve said about the episode. It's just heartbreaking ending, beautiful visuals. I loved it. Can't wait to see what happens next. You know, something I forgot to mention to you guys that sort of bugged me a little bit is there are these great big statues of clone troopers. And I thought, wow, you know, they've only really had a clone army for a couple of years. Why are they building these monuments to the clones. Because they look so cool, that's why. They do look awfully cool. I'm just picking more nits. I don't know. Jimmy Mac, final thoughts, Jedi who knew too much. All right, Jason. Final thoughts. Unlike you, Jason, I think this amazing episode only enhanced the setup of Sabotage. I did enjoy that episode. But the Jedi who knew too much was just so amazing on every level. It really got our listeners talking a lot on Facebook. I don't think there's been a single episode 
of Star Wars The Clone Wars that has gotten more response out of you guys, our listeners. And I loved reading each and every comment. We definitely have some of the most educated Star Wars fans in the world listening to this show. When I say this episode was amazing on every level, I mean it. Sound, acting, visually, the suspense, the plot, the action, you name it. And especially the end when Ahsoka took what Dave Filoni says in the featurette on StarWars.com. She took a leap of faith, meaning not only physically was she jumping into the unknown, but also literally was she jumping into the unknown. In her head, mentally, she was jumping into the unknown. Leap of faith, according to George Lucas' influence, Joseph Campbell, it, it occurs just prior to crossing the threshold, crossing the point of no return. When one passes from the comfortable, relatable world into a world of mystery and unknown, beyond, beyond, beyond our power. Now, is Ahsoka... Is she on this journey? We'll have to find out. Two more episodes to go. This is huge. Luke Gunray not in this episode. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us in our discussion of the Jedi who knew too much. Big, big thanks to Steve Glosson and Grant Gould and to you for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about the next episode in the Alfred Hitchcock tribute arc to catch a Jedi. So your homework? Go rent the Hitchcock flick. It's not called to catch a Jedi. To catch a thief, right? Is that it? Catch Anyone? A catch a predator. <laughs> no, John Stossel. Oh, God. Alright, guys, that's it. We're out of here. See you next time. Love you so much for the... Rebel Force Radio, Clone Wars Declassified. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And what was that? <laughs> Someone turned into fairy dust. Remember. The Force will be with you always.